All right, you guys ready? Ready to get back in it? All right, Deuteronomy chapter 8. So I want to ask you something. What is the, what is the greatest thing that could happen to us uh, in this next hour? Just, just pause for a minute. I want you, I don't, you don't have to answer that out loud, but I want you to think about what is the, what is the absolute greatest thing that could happen to you uh, in this next hour? It's worthy of your consideration. I think it should be something that we consider uh, multiple times a day. What is, the, what is the greatest thing that could happen to me in this moment? What is the greatest thing that could happen to me in this, in this hour? Anytime I sit down and I'm going uh, to open this word or uh, I'm going to be with believers, that should be the question uh, that I ask. What is the greatest thing that could happen to me? And, and I, I think the answer, uh, very simply for all of us, should be the greatest thing that could happen to us in this hour and in this moment is to encounter God, Right? Would you agree that there, there, would be, there would be no thing on the earth that could, that could happen uh, that would be better right now than to you to have an encounter uh, with God, right? Do you agree? So that's what we, that's what we want. I mean, and that's what, that's what I want for you to begin to crave um, on, on a daily uh, and an hourly basis is for you to always seek to encounter God in everything that you do. It's, it's not as complex as we sometimes make it to be. That doesn't mean that uh, every hour of the day you've got to be reading your Bible or you've got to be in, uh, in quiet prayer, but that it is actually possible. We, we know that if God is present everywhere, this isn't Deuteronomy 8, but just, just to push us before we start. If God is present everywhere, then there is no place where it is impossible to meet with Him. Think about that. That there is no corner of the earth and there is no situation in which it is impossible to meet with God, that He is present, He is ever-present, He's omnipresence, right? He is, he is everywhere and in everything, so that in everything and in every place, we have opportunity to meet with Him. And here's the better news, that He has given His Spirit that we might do that continually, right? The thing that which, that which would keep us from meeting with Him continually, from having continual fellowship with Him, has been destroyed and defeated on the cross, right? And when we've been given new life, that we might have continual communion with our Father God. So it is possible, right? You, are you with me? It is possible right now for you to encounter God. And that, is a, that, is a, uh, that is a thing worth chasing. That is a thing worth going after. That is a thing worth focusing on, and that's what we want to do. So that's what I want you to just ask the Spirit for right now as we begin, is just that you might have a fresh encounter with Him, that you might meet with Him where He is, and that He might do in you what He wants to do in you, because there's no greater thing, there's no greater satisfaction for the believer than to meet with God, right? I'm just going to turn you loose in prayer for just a moment. You just pray to that end, and then we'll get started. Holy Spirit, we just ask for you to come. We ask for you to come in our midst. We have, ask for you to come in us that we might encounter 
you, God. God, breathe your word on us. God, give us fresh revelation of you, of your goodness, of your mercy, of your grace. God, there is no end to the depths of your heart. So we just ask that you would show us more and more and more of you. Not because we don't have enough, but because we have it all, we want more. God, thank you for your grace. For your powerful grace that is is at work even now that we might speak with you. That my prayer in weakness of flesh might be heard in the heavens. It is only by your grace. And you have heard every prayer uttered in this room. And you have responded before the prayer was even, was even spoken because as our good Father, you know exactly what we need before we even ask. So God, I pray that you would not give us what we want, but give us what we need. That you would not give us what we would assign for ourselves, but what you would have for us. Because God, transformation is more valuable to us than comfort. So we lay ourselves before you and ask that you would find anything in us that does not glorify you and remove it. That we might with all of our being glorify you because you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Spirit, help me in my weakness that I might not utter one word from my flesh but the full authority of Jesus might come in these words. Amen. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 8. So we're going to go through the whole chapter. I'm getting pretty brave. I'm conquering chapters at a time here. Uh, last week, uh, did the same thing. And I think we made it, didn't we? we and we didn't have to really sprint to, uh, to the next hour of service. We just made it. Uh, so that was, uh, that was good. Normally we're sprinting. We have a reputation for... Uh, Entering uh, in a grand way, right? They always, they always know when I go too long because this parade of people come in. Anyway, we're not going to do that today either. We're going to conquer another chapter. So uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. So uh, two things I want to look at in this chapter. This is a, uh, this is a, a chapter that is uh, centered right around uh, where Moses, uh, with Moses uh, and his discussion between God and the people of Israel, uh, and, and God is going to speak to the people in this, uh, in this chapter about what He has taken them through and then the importance of them remembering. So those are the two things we really want to focus on this morning uh, in, this, in this passage is what God did in His people to refine them, right? Because God's going to talk about a refining process. And He's going to say some things that may sound uh, extremely strange. You may, just at, on the surface, we may look at the things that God has done in His people, and we go, man, God, how could you, how could you, that seems like a very strange way to bring about fruit in your people. But we're going to look at the purpose uh, of God in those things as He refines His people to obey His commandments. And then, uh, as He brings them into the fullness of what He has promised them, what He commands them to do in the midst of the fullness, which is to remember, right? So we're going to look at, at, at those two things in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I'm going to, read, I'm going to stop in some portions for a lot longer than others, um, 
we will get through the whole chapter. So uh, let's go ahead and begin. So uh, in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, it starts out and says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your Father. So I'm going to stop there. So the very, the very, very beginning, he says, every command which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. Now that sounds a little strict, right? It says every command that I have given you, you must be careful to observe. But why does he say it? So that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. A lot of times we, we look at the commandments of God, we look at, at the, what we would call the rules of God, and we go, man, God, I don't, I don't get this, I don't understand, why are you, why are you so strict? You, if you talk to people uh, outside of the church walls, a lot of times that's what you will hear. They'll go, man, that's just a, that's just a place where there's a lot of rules uh, and a lot of behavior uh, modification, and I, I'm, just, I'm just not in for that. I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. When the response to that is uh, the, the rules of God, the commandments of God, they, they are strict. And they do apply for every, uh, to, to every corner of our life, but it's not for the purpose of following rules for rules' sake. He says, I'm, gonna, I'm giving you these commandments and be careful to observe them because the purpose for which I've given you this structure is that you might live, that you might be fully alive in the fullness of the land which I have given you. This is a maturity thing. See, God has so much to give his people, but if he gives no structure within the fullness of the blessing, the blessing will be abused and they will not fully live. And Jesus said, his purpose was what? I came that you might have what? Life. Life. We we see the fundamental problem with man is not sin, right? It's death. Sin caused death, but Jesus didn't come necessarily because of sin. Jesus came because you were dead. And the desire of the Father from from the beginning has not just been that you might be forgiven of your sin, but that you might be forgiven of your sin so that you would live. Because life life comes in relationship with the Father, and sin is what held us uh, at a distance. Sin is what kept us from relationship with Him. And so it's the desire of the Father's heart that you might be alive. And He knows that, that He had to remove sin in order that we might be alive. But life is what happened to you on salvation. Life is what was breathed into your lungs. Life is what came to Adam when God had formed him in the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils and it says then Adam became alive. It was that breath of God in the spirit of Adam that made him alive and it is that life which God wants to give us now and today, but it comes in structure. And so this is not rules for rules sake, but God says, I've given you these commandments. Be careful to observe them because my desire for you is that you would live. He says in verse 2, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord." Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God 
chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. All right, so go back uh, to verse 2. He says, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the ways in the, in the wilderness. Now he says, to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you. He allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So what is the process that God took His people through in the wilderness? What did He teach them? We, we, can, we can chat a little bit this morning. What did, what did He teach them? Based on those verses. Okay, obedience. That he was the provider. That's good. We see that certainly in the, in the manna example. It says that man does not live by bread alone. Anybody remember where else that, that is spoken? That's right. Jesus quotes it when, uh, he, after he's been baptized with the Spirit, Jesus goes into the wilderness and the enemy uh, comes to him and is in this temptation. And Jesus says, look, man, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth. Of the Father. So what, what is God doing in His people uh, at this point? Teaching them obedience? Teaching them to depend on Him? Is it strange the means that He does it? He says, God says in, in, in verse 2, He says, I want to humble you and test you to know what? Yeah, to know what's in your heart. What is it which reveals which, what is in our heart? Yeah, when the testing comes, we know what's really in our heart. So God takes his people through this period of wilderness to, to show them truly where their heart is, to see from them where their heart is. is he, are they going to uh, follow him just because of this one moment where he's rescued them out of the wilderness? Or, or in them, is there truly a heart to follow after him? And he says, in this refining process, and I love this, verse 3, he allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, so that he might make you know that, that you will not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. So what, is that, what does that mean? Why, why in the world would God, uh, God allow his people to hunger and then feed them with something which is from heaven? Something which they, they could not have created for themselves. What, what is our body's natural reaction to hunger? To eat, right? Anybody hung around past like one o'clock without, without eating, right? What begins to happen? You begin to go, wait a minute, where's lunch, right? Right? When we're hungry, we want to eat. And what is the way in which we eat? How do we, how do we attain for ourselves food? Make it? Some of us mountain men in here go kill something and... Skin it and eat it, and others of us grow to the grocery store, right? Uh, both. My son's still trying to figure out where milk comes from, because sometimes it's from the dairy and sometimes it's from the grocery store, and he's a little confused uh, whether it's the cow or the guy in the milk, with the milk cart, right? But when we're hungry, uh, our flesh is wired to feed us, right? It's wired to... Uh, remember what I told you? That, uh, I think it's, uh, it was last week... Um, but, and you've heard me say this before, but our flesh is wired to do one thing, 
and only one thing. Its main priority is self-defense, right? Its main priority is self-preservation. That is all your fresh flesh is wired to, uh, to do. And so when you're hungry, you, the triggers in your brain go off and you go and pursue food. And you pursue that food based on your ability to gain food. See, right now, if there, if there were no supermarket, some of us in here would be in trouble, Right? Right? We eat based on our ability to provide for ourselves. And God takes his people into the wilderness where even in, even in slavery, they ate based on their ability to provide for themselves, right? But he takes them out of that and then he doesn't feed them. How wicked and cruel is that? That he, that he brings them to a place where there is no food. And then God says, no, I made, I made you hunger and then I gave you that which you could not create for yourself. Because God, in this very beginning of refining his people, God has to teach them the, the number one lesson, that you must be solely and completely dependent on me for everything. That even in the simplicity of gaining for yourself food amongst your hunger, you cannot do it on your own. That to be uh, the people of God, they have to learn first that every good thing, that we are satisfied from that which is of heaven and not which is on the earth. And we cannot gain for ourselves true satisfaction, lest it be given to us in grace by the Father. Are you with me? So this is the lesson that he begins to teach him. And it's a lesson that we have to learn right now. How often do we rely on our flesh to to, uh, lead our lives? You look at the church today, you look at at Christians today, and I, I would ask the question, have we learned this lesson that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of the Father? Have we learned in such a simple way to be completely dependent on that which comes from heaven and not that which we can produce for ourselves? I would have to look at my life and say, man, there's a lot of areas where no, I have not learned that lesson. There's a lot of areas in my life where I'd have to go, no, I depend on me for satisfaction. I depend on what I can accumulate, on what I can do, on the people I can put myself, uh, uh, the the people I can put around myself, the job I can attain, the the work that I can do, the providing that I can for my family. There's lots of areas which which I would have to confess before the Lord God, teach me to live uh, on that which comes from heaven because I'm still so dependent on what I can do for myself. But it is so basic and the very first thing that God wants to teach his people is to live off what comes from heaven. Jesus says it in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember when Jesus says uh, that blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. How many of you can get up and go to the grocery store and get righteousness? Where does it come from? It comes from heaven. Righteousness is a quality of God which we cannot attain lest he be in us, Right? If it's your righteousness, it's called self-righteousness. And the Bible says that it's filthy rags. It amounts to nothing. But, but blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness because it says then he will be what? Filled. Think about that. It's a, very, it's a very principle that God spoke in the desert. Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness for he will be filled. Your appetite should not be for things of the earth but for things from heaven, for every word which comes from your father's mouth. Think about if you were as desperate for God's word as you were for food. And I know this, at least three times a day, at least three times a day, all of our attention would be focused on what God is saying. If that shift were to occur, right? 
if it were just equal, if I just went after the word of God as often as I pursue the, the simplicity of feeding my mouth, I know at least three times a day my entire pursuit would be the word of my Father from heaven. And I know if, if that were to be true, then lots of things would change, right? But he says, in everything, hunger for me. So he says, you're not going to live by bread alone. So he takes him out and he, and he makes him hungry. Uh, he humbles you, allows you to hunger so that you would know that Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I want to just tell you that hearing is the most fundamental and basic thing you've got to be able to do to function as a believer. You've got to be able to hear God. Faith is birthed by your ability to hear. Walk by faith, not by sight. Well, walk by faith and not by sight, I've got to hear first, right? We've got, we've got to... Uh, if, you, if right now you would say, I have no idea how to hear God, number one, I would say, I bet you're wrong. <laughs> I bet you just don't know how to differentiate his voice from all that you've allowed to clutter, right? Uh, but number two, then, then pursue no other thing in your life but ask the Spirit to teach you to hear. Stop every pursuit of your life and go, Holy Spirit, I, don't, I would not say that I can confidently hear my Father. I've got to learn to hear, and the Holy Spirit will teach you how to hear. Go back to the moment when you were saved. You heard God then right? Remember what that was like. Remember that voice. Cultivate that voice in your life. It is, it is basic and fundamental. He says in verse 4, your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell. Uh, and then in verse 5, he says, you should know in your heart that as a man uh, chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. So God, by these very strange means, refines his people. Has God ever done that in you? Has God used a very strange mechanism to bring you near to Him, to refine something in your life? Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite examples of this is in the book of Habakkuk. If you read uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk is, is a prophet and he's distressed by the wickedness that he sees uh, in, uh, in Israel, Right? He's looking across the land. He's going, God, we're not serving you. We're not worshiping you. We're worshiping other gods. The people are wicked. You've got to do something. And this is the cry of his heart. And God says, okay. You know, at this point, the prophet's like, yes, God is responding. He said, okay. And then God even makes this promise. He says, I'm going to do something that if, you, if I told you, you would never believe it, right? I'm going to bring the Chaldeans and I'm going to completely wipe you out. And he's going, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> God, there was, there was wickedness, and I asked for you to do something, and you said you were going to do this great thing, and now you're talking about destroying us. I'm not quite sure that's the way you need to do this, right? There's, there's got to be a better way. God's response to his cry was not what he expected. And God brought the Chaldeans, and he wiped out. He wiped out uh, the, the people and set them back to uh, depending uh, on him for the very basic necessities uh, of life. And this is not how Habakkuk would have written the script. And that's my question to you. This is not how the people of Israel would have written the script, that they would come out of, uh, of slavery, right? And now all of a sudden, God, God, what are you doing? You brought us to a place where now there is not even food or water. You brought us to the desert. I lived in the desert for eight years. Anybody ever been to West Texas? There's no, there's no water there, Right? <laughs> There's no water and there's certainly not a plenty of food, right? You, anybody ever been to California? Like, it's crazy. There's just, you just drive down the road and there's fruit, like, in people's front yards everywhere. It's, it's like, there's just food everywhere. 
It's not that way in the desert. What a strange place for God to bring his people to a, to a desert. But he's teaching them that they cannot provide for themselves, and he's doing it by means which they would have not picked. And I want, you to, I want us to pause there and think about that. Think about the things in our lives which God has, has placed in our lives for the purpose of refinement in his goodness that we're refusing because they're not the things which we would have written down for ourselves. It's not the script that you would have written for yourself. But God is saying, I'm not going to do this on your terms. I'm not going to make you like Christ on your terms. I'm going to do it on mine because I know what is best for you. And I want you to see that because if we ever detach the goodness of God from the process, we will not submit to the process. Listen to that, beloved. Listen, if you ever detach the goodness of God from the process of sanctification, you will not submit to the process of sanctification. You will refuse it and refuse it and refuse it if God is not good. But listen, if God is good, then I'll walk through any valley. Because I know that God is about one thing on the earth, and that is his glory. And I also know that his glory means that all things will work, to, uh, work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I can walk through the darkest valley if God is good, because I know it's for two things, my good and his glory. You with me? We're, we're hitting something right now that we need to just pause in, right? I just want you to, I want you to account for that in your heart. Do you believe, do you believe that God is good? Ultimately, when it's all said and done, when everything is stripped away, regardless of your circumstance, regardless of what's happening in your life, even right now in this hour, the hardest moments you may be walking through right now, can you make the declaration and it be, and it be true that you believe and know that God is good? Because if he's good, if he's good, then we get to make the statement, then have your way with me because I trust you. And no th I know that no thing comes to me absent passing in front of your throne first. And nothing comes to me after passing in front of your throne first that is not for my good and your glory. Amen? And he affirms this with his people. See, God, God never detaches his goodness. God never just says, do what I say, do what I say, do what I say. He says, trust me, I'm good. I'm not going to do it your way, but I'm good. In verse 4, he shows them. He says, look, did you not notice that your garments did not wear out, nor did your feet swell? I put my protection around you. And he said, look at this, verse 5. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, keep the commandments of the Lord. So what does he say? What is he confirming to them? That I am your good father. You see that? It's this goodness confirmed. He says, he says, don't you know, don't you know that this is the goodness of me as your father that would, that would allow these things, that would bring you into this refining process. This comes from the heart of your father. And he says, you should know at this point, beloved, that I am your father. And I, I, again, I, we have to pause, and you've got to answer that question. Do you know? And if you were to, if you were to, if you were to uh, give an account for what you believe of God, would that, would that list include that he is my good and perfect father? 
Not he is a shadow of what I've experienced as a father before, but he is good beyond what we could measure as good, and he is my father. Because everything that we walk through with the Lord comes from relationship. And this refining, this sanctification that you and I are experiencing is no different. And because, in verse 6 he says, therefore, so we got to know what the therefore is therefore, right? So he says, therefore, keep my commandments. You know, again, it's proof that we, we are obedient to God from the position of this relationship as he is our good and perfect father and we are his children. It's very difficult to be obedient when there's no relationship, right? That's what the outside world sees. They look in and they see religion. You won't do this, you won't do this, you won't do this. Well, what, what's wrong with God? Well, I don't do this, this, and this, and this, not because God just said it and I do it, but because I love him. Because I love him and he loves me, and why would I not do, even if it was the wildest thing, why would I not do that which my love has commanded of me? Following his commandments is not about behavior modification. It's an expression of love. Look at Jesus' life. Jesus loved the Father, and he was consumed with obedience. Why? Because obedience is the offspring of a relationship bound in love. Right? Right? (laughs) If those things aren't in place, obedience is just rule following and it will die. You will chase it for a season and then it will be over. Right? But if it's bound in this love relationship, then the number one thing on your heart is going to be, I want to do what my love has asked for me to do. That's why Jesus relates to us as his, uh, we are his bride and he is our, it's founded in a love relationship. Cool? Nods if you approve. Okay. All right. So now we know in our heart that God is our Father. We will keep His commandments. Uh, And then verse 7. Man, you can't get better than this. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. You know that? Not only is He good, but He is bringing you into a good land. He's bringing you into the fullness of all that He has for you. Jesus said, I came that you would have life and have it to the fullest, that God is in the middle of bestowing on you all that is His. Amen. I hope that's exciting to you that the wealthiest person in the universe has said to you that everything is that is mine is yours. I'm on board for that. A land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flows out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, of pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. The honey is a good thing. I love honey. <laughs> a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Just one point uh, to, to make here. Uh, a lot of times it's taught that the promised land, which is what God is talking about, that the promised land is heaven. Uh, I, I want to tell you that I, I adamantly disagree, uh, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. Uh, number one, uh, th- that somehow uh, then means that we are just wandering in the wilderness until we die, right? 
And at the point that we die, then all of a sudden we lack nothing. Then all of a sudden we get all that the Father has for us. And I, I don't believe that this is true. I don't believe you can find it uh, in the life of Jesus. Uh, and, I, and I think it remains true that when, uh, when the people came out of, uh, of Egypt, that God never, never in His heart did He want for them to wander for 40 years. They wandered in for 40 years in disobedience based upon their flesh. Let me just tell you, I believe that the Scripture teaches and teaches thoroughly that the promised land is the fullness of the Spirit in us. The promised land is us in this moment where uh, that all creation is crying out for, the revelation of sons and daughters. I believe it is us receiving and operating in all that God has for us. I don't believe you have to wait till you die to get all of God. I believe that it happens right at the moment of salvation, that all that he is is available to you. I believe that that is true in the promise of the Holy Spirit, that God has given us the fullness of himself in the Spirit. No good thing has he withheld. Second Peter says all spiritual gifts are ours. All good things are ours. And, and look here in, in, verse, uh, in verse 9. He says, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. I do not believe that you are, in your Christian life, ever ministering in your own personal life and then to those around you from a position of lack. I believe that you are, have been called ministers of reconciliation and that in that appointment, Jesus has said to us, all of my authority, all of my power is yours. I have given you everything. Jesus said that you would be holy as I'm holy and that greater things that you're, gonna, you're going to do than I ever did. Listen, I believe that when God opened heaven and the Spirit came on Jesus, you remember this moment? I teach this a lot, I go back to this a lot, but the, the, the heavens opened and I don't believe that's because the Holy Spirit like, needed the door to open, Right? He's like, I can't get out, man, until you open the door. Like, I don't think that's what happened. I believe the heavens opened, and it was this expression of the Father as the Holy Spirit came on Jesus. It was an expression of the Father that said, all of heaven is open to you. Jesus had proved himself for 30 years, had proved himself in obedience, and in this moment of giving of the Spirit, heaven was open. And I believe we minister under that exact same open heaven that Jesus did. That the Father has said to us, all that is mine is yours. We are never in a position of lack in our lives. You're never, face, you're never sitting across the table from somebody whose heart is broken and who desperately needs an answer. You are never in a position where that answer is not available to you by the Spirit. Do you believe that? You've got to believe that or your ministry will suffer. If you ever believe you've got to do a song and dance in order to access all of God or wait till you die, you're going to be a really bad pastor in your community. Because people are going to come to you and you're going to go, man, I don't have what you need. Did Jesus ever say that? Did he ever say it? Can you find that in Jesus' life? Did Jesus ever make the expression, my father hasn't given me that? No. He said, I only do what I see my father do because the father loves me and he shows me everything. You've got to stand in that same position if you're going to do ministry. There's a lot of hurting and broken people out there. There's a lot of hurting and broken people in here. And if we're going to do ministry like Jesus, we have to start by saying, my Father loves me and has given me every good thing. I lack nothing in the Spirit. I lack nothing. You with me? That's the fullness of the land that we dwell in, in the Spirit. Amen. Smile if you receive that. 
And then he goes into a warning. I'm going to spend a bit of time on the warning here. Uh, It will continue from uh, verse 10 through the chapter. So I'm going to just read this whole chunk and then we'll go back, okay? Is that all right? Can you guys track if I read more than a verse? We're not really programmed to do that in church, but can we read more than a verse? (laughs) All right. Smile. There we go. Okay. Everybody's all right. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Notice the thanksgiving there. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there uh, was no water, who brought you water uh, out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good. Stop, do you hear that? To do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and in the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, uh, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. So this promise of blessing, this promise of refining and blessing comes with this word, beware. Beware, and he says, beware lest you forget that all that you see before you, all the blessing that you see before you, lest you forget that it was not by your hands, but it was by mine. Listen to the arrogance of the statement that he, that he quotes here uh, in verse 17. My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Now we go, what arrogance? How could they ever think? How could they ever believe that they have somehow done something for themselves? Don't they remember life in Egypt, Right? We quickly go and we, and we, uh, and we judge the, these people and we say, man, they, they were in slavery. God brought them out. They had fire and smoke and commandments all over the place. Like this was, this was crazy. How could, they, how could they forget? And I would say to you, you were dead in your sin and then rescued in grace by a miraculous move of the Holy Spirit who came to you and made you aware of who you were in your death and then brought you from death and placed you into life and gave you all of the Holy Spirit. How could you forget? right? You with me? It is so easy for us to step into a place of blessing and then somehow believe that continuing in that place of blessing is on our own merit. Think about that. I know, I know this is true because it plays out in my life often where God does a miraculous thing and then I go, man, God was pretty cool. I can take the next one, right? And the next moment comes along, and I, I, the, the way it plays out for me a lot of times is, is in my office. That's where I spend a lot of time. 
you know, and, and I'll, be, I'll be with a student and God will just, God will unleash his power in just an amazing way. He'll give, he'll give me a word or a question or something and we'll just have, we'll have breakthrough and there will be freedom. And, I'll, and in that moment, you're just going, my goodness, there is absolutely no way I would have ever thought to ask that question or make that statement or, you know, God, you have done a miraculous thing. And it is so funny how when uh, three weeks later, a student's in my office, a different person will be in my office and they'll be unloading uh, the, the, the hurt and pain of their life. And, and I'll find myself going, okay, Kendall, how do you fix this? You fool. <laughs> Have you already forgotten that you couldn't fix the last one? You're in this place of blessing and then somehow your flesh creeps in and says, you got this. You can do this. And you know, what I, you know what I'm convinced the key is from going to that place? The Spirit is teaching me this. I'm working and working and working on this with Him. But I'm convinced the answer is in, uh, is in verse 10. I'm convinced the answer from forgetting is in verse 10. It's in thanksgiving. I, I'm, I'm, I'm about sure that that's, that that's where he is. He says, because when you have eaten and are full, the immediate thing that, we do, that you do in that place of blessing, when you've eaten and are full, the immediate thing is, then you shall bless the Lord. You shall erupt with thanksgiving because what is thanksgiving rooted in? Thanksgiving, to say thank you, means that you did not do anything, right? To say thank you to God is an expression that, God, you did what I just saw. I'm not saying thank you to me. I'm saying thank you to God. So a, a heart of thanksgiving keeps us in this place of humility. And staying in a place of humility is what keeps us from forgetting what God has done. You know how difficult it would be to forget what God has done if you're always thanking him for it? Think about that. Stop and think. How difficult would that be for us if I was constantly saying, thank you, Angela, that roast you made was incredible. Thank you, Angela, that roast you made was incredible. If I was constantly saying that, you think I would ever go, thank you, Angela, for that roast you're making. Now I'm going to make my own. That's a stupid example, but (laughs) it would be very difficult for me to go to that place, right? And she said, I don't know. We've never eaten roast at your house. I don't know why I'm... Yeah, so whatever. This is a bad example. <laughs> but think about... Just, just pause. So, so if, the, if the thanks to God is constantly on our lips, then we always, have, we always have this rooted place of humility where when our flesh comes, we say, no, I'm too busy thanking the Lord for what He has done to believe that I can do the next thing. You with me? And that's the idea here. He says... As soon as you're full, as soon as you taste this blessing, then bless me. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Thanksgiving is the heart that maintains humility. And from a place of humility, your flesh will not win. Because humility says, I cannot, but God can. You guys with me? Not if you are. All right. So I want you to do a couple of things. There's a, there should be, an, uh, every aisle, there's a card. Everybody needs a card. We've got about three minutes. I want you to do two things. And, and, and however the Spirit leads you in this, I've got two topics I would love for you to write down, how, however God leads you to do this. Uh, but, but number one, I want, I want you to write down one, or, one or, uh, of these things or both of these things, uh, again, however the Lord leads you, but... Uh, on, on your card, uh, I want you to uh, first, what are some things which the Lord has allowed from the first part of our talk 
which the Lord has allowed in your life for the purpose of refinement, which you're refusing because they're not on your terms. You with me? They're in the wilderness. They're hungry so that he can feed them, to teach them, to depend on him. Is there anything, and, and it, look, it, don't feel guilty if the answer is no, okay? Don't, you don't have to write anything down here. But is there anything in your life going on right now that you're going, no, God, I'm not going to allow you to use this for my refinement. I'm not going to allow you to do this. And you keep pushing away because it's not on your terms. And is there something there that you need to say, okay, God, I'm gonna, I don't understand this. I don't understand why you would bring me to the wilderness. I don't understand why you would bring me to a place without water and without food. But I know it's your goodness that brought me here, and I'm going to receive it. You don't have to understand it. Asking for understanding is not bad, but gaining understanding is not a requirement for obedience. You with me? God does not, we're never shamed for asking for understanding, but understanding is not a prerequisite for obedience. You with me? Yes? Okay, so write those things down. Uh, and then the second, the second thing is, man, just uh, write down thankfulness. Like, man, just remember, right? Just, he says, when you've eaten and are full, bless the Lord. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to like write your card down here, but on my card was like, thank you for salvation. I know that's general, but my goodness. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the fullness of your spirit. Tr- push past some of the trivial things. I know things like friends and family, those aren't trivial things, but press deep. And just take a minute and, and, uh, and write those things down and, and then I'm going to pray and we'll be finished.